visions of soaring through the air, jumping high as uh, I used to do, uh, visions of uh, Air Jordan. Uh, on the other hand, perhaps that is a bit of poetic license I'm using there, uh, and it happened before Nikes were conceived. But I jumped just as hard yesterday as I did a long time ago. I just couldn't get off the ground. And putting this together, I realize that Daryl Henson is never going to rise off this earth without help. <laughs> Those days are gone. It was a lovely time. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed being able to visit with many of you and play ball with you and expose my many weaknesses there. Uh, I didn't think we were going to have special music or a sermon. <clears throat> But it's happened to me again that uh, special music comes on and it is so inspiring that I feel like just staying in my seat. But it reminded me of Psalm 78, 19. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Look at what has happened here at this seat. It seems like each sermon or sermonette is given and... The one who comes before sets the table for the one to speak the next day. We've seen this all the way through. I think from, well, I don't know how far back. I just started noticing on atonement because I gave the sermon on atonement and then John gave essentially the same message on opening night. The different angle and different words, but essentially the same message. And that's been a theme that we've seen through this piece. And you begin to wonder, do you not, if God is repeating some things here, that it might be able to penetrate solid wood, that we might begin to see that God is telling us something over and over again, that it might mean something to us. I really believe he can. Even the songs, it seems, before each sermonette and sermon fit right together with it. I, with what I have to say today, they were fitting, it seems. And then Mary talked about some of the same things in her song that I am going to talk about today. And I just am amazed at how God can make water come out of stone, as he did there in Psalm 78. It's rehearsed there. But God can prepare a table in this wilderness and spiritual famine and pestilence that we are in. That is not a question I have anymore after I've seen the wonders of God in many respects. The question that remains with me is, are we able to digest this meal that God is preparing for us. That isn't necessarily the message today, but it's all certainly tied together. Uh, we have heard that God is atomizing us and that we are almost nothing. Haggai talks about how the, the uh, former temple and how we can look back and say it is nothing. And we look back now at worldwide and what has occurred in this very little left, just bits and pieces of spewed vomit around the world. I was struck yesterday, uh, John was talking about if we need to pluck out our eye or cut off our hand in order to enter the kingdom, it's better to go in, halt, blind, lame, than not to go in. And somebody said, apply that spiritually. Ding, the light came on. We are the body of Christ. 
there is a set time for these events to occur that we have been talking about. God is not waiting for us, as some have postulated in the past. He is on time, and we will probably run across a verse or two today to prove that. Look up appointed time, or appointed in your concordance, and run down the list. And you'll find very quickly that there is a time appointed for all these things, that God knows what his timing is. And he is not waiting for you and me. We have been told, get the church ready. But when his appointed time comes, those who are ready will be ready and be usable. Those who do not get ready will go into the tribulation and be purified there. God is not going to adjust his time and his purpose for you and me. We must adjust our attitudes and our lives to suit what he is doing. This is critical, and we have heard very positively that the handwriting is on the wall. The church is going in. It may go in without some members. We may lose some body parts, and haven't we been seeing body parts flying around the last few years? Some dead, some dying. And it's sad to see the kind of carnage that has occurred in God's church. Today... I want to go into a different subject because I think we need, on top of all this, some hope. And even in the deepest, darkest lamentations of Jeremiah, there are verses that give us hope. I do not intend at all for this sermon to negate, to blunt, or to let us off the hook in any way from what we have been hearing because I think that message has been repeated and repeated as a theme, and God is deadly serious about it. But, like donkeys, <laughs> we need a carrot, to one degree or another. And that's what I want to get to today. So the timing is set, and it will move forward. I want to remind you of the sermon I gave a few months ago, sometime after Passover, about unity and how it will come about. And in that sermon, I, I will review a couple of things briefly here. From Zechariah 4, it shows that the two witnesses will provide oil for all seven churches. All seven churches, as John mentioned yesterday in Revelation 2 and 3, are extant today. We see the characteristics of each. And those seven will continue because the two witnesses will feed them. In the wilderness, those who are in a place of safety and those who are left behind, because that is the only source of oil, and you can tie that together with Matthew 25. They have to come through one door in order to come to Christ, and that is what God has provided and is providing. You can read John 10 and see there's one door, one shepherd, one flock. Christ is going to do that. Isaiah 4, seven women will take hold of one man. I think you can see the duality of this prophecy there that all seven churches will take hold of one leader. Can you have unity in your family even without one leader? If husband, wife, or children all squabble for leadership, read Isaiah 3 if you don't believe it, one just before that. But he shows that all seven will take hold of one, saying, Give us your name. We will feed ourselves. We'll provide our own tithes. We'll do whatever we need to to take care of ourselves, but give us your name. There will only be one name at that point. Jesus Christ is that name, and Zerubbabel, of course, is the type of Christ. 
and that's where they will have to go to be fed. But God is going to begin to reunify through those two individuals, I firmly believe, and I think there are an awful lot of scriptures, go back to that sermon, you can see it, and there are more than that. And we saw also that the flight could be in stages, because Matthew 24 speaks of going in great haste. Uh, Isaiah 52 says, go not in haste. Is that a contradiction, or are we talking about two different things? Read Revelation 12, it talks about two flights. One we've always thought was back in the Middle Ages, but maybe not. Maybe spiritually it's fulfilled at the end. One of those is not in great haste, but the other seems to be in great haste with the Edomites on our tails. Read Obadiah. But God is going to deliver. He's going to put it back together. And let's begin today <coughs> with that slight review. Uh, in Isaiah 58, I left off here uh, in the atonement sermon, which probably most of you heard, uh, showing that through fasting and changing of our attitudes, once we get to the point we are willing to give out to others and give our bread to others, even in time of famine, we're willing to share, to give, to show love to others toward the end of the chapter, then God will hear us and He will answer us. But I want to pick it up down here in verse 11. The Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. So even though the drought might continue, those who do repent will be satisfied. Now there's some good news for a change. And make fat your bones. You can begin to look a little like me. And you shall be like a watered garden... I'm speaking physically, not spiritually. Understand here. There's no duality there. I am deep, dark in my sins and am repenting, I hope. Like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. We'll see that one come up again a little later. And they that shall be of you shall build the old waste places. Those of us who gather together to do this will build the old waste places. Isn't the church in terrible shape now? This isn't just referring to rebuilding Israel and this nation after that's all over. I think we've begun to see the duality of Galatians 6.16 pretty clearly now. But this happens first to the church because the church needs there to be there to help rebuild Israel physically. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. We talked about the breach a little bit in Lamentations and the Atonement Sermon. The restorer of paths to dwell in. And then he starts talking about the Sabbath, which are the tests, and that's what we've seen just lately begin to disappear from the greater church of God, the importance of them. So let's not talk about our sins here anymore. Let's get on with deliverance. And I want to go to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. And that's the thrust today. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for her sin. And it seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? When we look at the confusion and the frustration we have faced in this past ten years. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's exciting, isn't it? that the church can prepare the way for Christ to come back and for perhaps even prepare the way for Zerubbabel as a type of Christ to come and that these things might be fulfilled ahead. We'll see that in the context as we go on. 
the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. It won't be done in the corner anymore. God is going to make the latter temple greater, bigger, and better than the former temple ever was. says that right there in Haggai. O Zion, verse 9, that brings good tidings, get you up into the high mountain. Does this depict a place of safety? O Jerusalem, that brings good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. Now, that's interesting, his arm shall rule for him. doesn't say he himself at that point is going to be ruling, but we know once he returns to the earth, he will rule. And David, has the, he will be king of kings, and David king under him in the millennium. So it can refer to both. But we are going to see these types ahead of time. Chapter 41. Verse 8, But you, O Israel, are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth. You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you away. There will come a point when God is going to turn it around and say, The time of repentance of famine is gone for my people. I have not cast you off. Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. A time of healing of the breach is coming, when God will again begin to hear our prayers. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, verse 13. Verse 14, fear not, you worm Jacob and you men of Israel. That must be speaking to us, <laughs> you worms. I'm a worm. We're all worms. Verse 17, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue fails for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Now, this is interesting, verse 19. I will plant in the wilderness these different trees. He named seven trees. Perhaps seven churches will be replanted in the wilderness, in a place of safety. And they will then grow and come together. As those people of God begin to repent, they can then be added to those churches. And hopefully, what God has said to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we will get the message about, we will repent, and then those will no longer apply. Because we've done it. And then when he looks at those seven churches, he'll say, wow, now they have my glory. They don't have these old characteristics anymore. That's what this is all about, that we repent. We see any of those characteristics in us of those seven. We repent of that, and then that no longer applies, because God will remove our sins as far as east is from west. Then it won't matter which church you're in, will it? Which era? Because all will be righteous. And those body parts which weren't righteous will be chucked so that only righteousness remains. Now, notice verse 20. It's interesting. That they may see, I will plant these trees, that they may see and know 
and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and that the Holy One of Israel has created it. God is going to turn this around. Produce your cause, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. You think this isn't going to occur? Bring your reasons and show me, God says. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. And perhaps part of the thing here is that we are to look at these former things in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and see that they are to come, the latter end, not just for Judah and Israel of old, and perhaps that is not in derision there when it says produce your cause. Maybe it's talking to us to produce the cause to you to show that God is going to do these things and that we can go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and we can see these things happening. We need to consider them. Let's go to Ezekiel 34. I want to show you here how sometimes we think and how that creates an error. I doubt if there are very, very many people in the greater church of God today, no matter what branch they might be in, who have not read the first part of Ezekiel 34 and said, Aha! This is speaking of the ministers in the church, not the Baptists. Is there anyone who has not read this and thought that? The disease you've not healed and helped, bound the broken... My flock was scattered, none searched after them or sought them. The shepherds fed themselves and not my flock. Haven't we all read this and said, boy, this is the church. This isn't God speaking of the nation of Israel and what will happen in the millennium. I think that's fairly clear. But then we take the last part of the verse and we say, well, that's just talking about the millennium. Now, wait a minute. If it's dual, it's dual, right? You can't say one and then say the other. We've got to think the thing through logically. All right, let's see what he says. Verse 10. I am against the shepherds. I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. Uh, verse 12. I will seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. We are in the tribulation now spiritually, and boy, have we been scattered in this dark and cloudy day. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. Is this talking about place of safety? Wouldn't surprise me a bit. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, says the Lord God. Hope for the future for you and me. I will destroy the fat and the strong. And then he talks again about uh, the false shepherds. But notice verse 23, and this is where I'm driving. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord God, will be their God, and my servant David a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I will make a covenant of peace. We will again have peace in the church. One flock. Go back to Jeremiah 10. You'll see it again. I mean, uh, John 10, excuse me. 
There it is. In other words, God is going to send a leader to this end-time church after the other leaders have scattered and destroyed the flock, and that leader is going to put it all back together again. And it's going to be put back together in a better and greater way than it was before. Now that stretches our imagination looking at what we're seeing today when we have bloody and dead and dying sheep lying all over. But God has promised us a leader. That doesn't mean he's resurrecting David. These types follow a pattern through the Bible. One will come in the spirit and attitude of David. One whom God will use in such a way that we will begin to recognize that voice that Christ sets over the church. I have a, an inkling that perhaps this type also goes together with the type of the two witnesses. Why does God have two witnesses? Well, he's always said, establish it in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So for this church and for the world, he is going to establish that. They can't say, you didn't tell us, because it's been established in the mouth of two. Notice verse uh, 20, well, it's all good here. The, verse 27, the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. Famine's over for God's church. They are delivered out of the hand of those that serve themselves of them, and they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, neither shall the beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid. Well, in the time of the tribulation, physical tribulation, the only place of safety, the safe flock up in the mountains, will be those whom God has taken out to protect. He's promised to do that. Hosea, chapter 3. Verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince. Have we been there? And without sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod and a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Not after the latter days, necessarily. Perhaps that is included. But in the latter days, God is going to raise up David the king. Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22. There is so much in here. I don't have time for all of it, but it's just loaded. The burden of the valley of vision, to look ahead. What ails you now, that you are wholly gone up to the housetops, he says, to start off. Verse 9, I want to come down to this. You have seen also the breaches of the city of David. Didn't we just talk about the breach and healing the breach there in Isaiah 58? That they are many. And boy, do we have many breaches. And I'm not talking about Levi's. Rips and tears. Maybe I am talking about Levi's. Uh, modern Levi's that come from the store with rips and tears already in them. You gathered together the waters of the lower pool, and you have numbered the houses of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting when we start talking about David and the numbering? This David who comes hopefully will have learned the lessons of the original David and will not number Israel to see how big we are, to see if we have enough to fight the foe that is coming, because I guarantee you we don't. Even if we had a hundred or two hundred thousand, we couldn't, because Goliath is rising in Europe now and in the United States as well, I think. 
And it's going to take a David to go before Goliath with the fearlessness of faith. And whomever this God, this king that God raises up will have that kind of faith without the armor of man, without the numbers of men to go before that great Philistine or heathen and destroy it. They've numbered the houses of Israel. You've made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool. We've looked at what we have before us, and some are trying to sort of run the water together and make it work, but they're missing something. You have not looked to the maker thereof, neither have respect to him that fashioned it long ago. Let's go right back to God. Verse 13, And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. There's plenty of time left. Let's eat and drink. We're going to die anyway. Our generation is going to pass away, and this thing is 20, 30, 40, 200 years away. Don't believe it. It's interesting he talks about the treasurer Shebna here. We've wondered about who that might be in the end time, how that prophecy might apply. Uh, he graved himself a habitation for himself in a rock. He thought he was secure. Behold, the Lord will carry you away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover you. He shall surely violently turn and toss you like a ball into a large country. We heard about verse 20, Eliakim, yesterday. Eliakim here in verse 21 seems to be a type of Jesus Christ, and the commentaries will back that up for what they're worth. And I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your girdle, and I will commit your government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Now perhaps Eliakim is a type not only of Christ, but also a type of David. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Where have you read that before? Revelation 3, about the church in Philadelphia. Before this is over, the church in Philadelphia is going to rise to prominence again, wherever it is. A lot of people claim to be Philadelphia. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a Laodicea. I think we've seen here that we're all Laodicea and have been spewed out. And perhaps out of that, the remnants of Philadelphia will again regather because God is going to give opening and shutting doors, or he will open and shut doors before Philadelphia. But the key of David, what is the key? That's the power, the authority, the rulership of David. And God will use that to open it. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. This time it will not be removed. God says this is for good and forever. So he's going to reset David. Now let's go to Amos uh, 9. You'll see a pattern here developing with these scriptures. and they're, they're all through here. I didn't by any means get all of them. But chapter 8, he talks about here again the setting is the famine toward the end of the chapter and how we're wandering about seeking the truth. But he starts giving the answer here in chapter 9. Verse 11. Uh, I, I mean, 
you can see here, this is talking about the church there again, the famine in the land. Verse 11, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and notice again, close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. You're going to see Edom running throughout uh, these scriptures too. If you go to Obadiah just below it, if you go back to uh, the original David and you see Doeg the Edomite and the, so on and so forth, our enemies are also listed along and with David who will deliver and who will bring it back. Let's go to Isaiah 33. We could take uh, a whole sermon in each one of these chapters without any problem, but uh, I just want to point out some highlights, and you can go back if you feel uh, you want and read some more. Uh, chapter 33. Well, let's see. Let, let's, uh, verse 3. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of yourself, the nations were scattered. You can go to Zechariah 2 and see where Christ lifts himself up to go to work, and that's going to scare people. I wonder if Christ is not now beginning to say, it's time to lift myself up and go to work, and we hear a strong message, and it scares us somewhat, doesn't it? I'm certainly terrified at what I've heard here. I'm having a little trouble digesting all this. But Daryl's sins need to go away. Verse 14, the, the sinners in Zion are afraid. The ones right in the church, the ones at the pinnacle of the best part of the church, Zion, the city of David. The church includes all Israel, Judah, Jerusalem. He uses the terms interchangeably, but I wouldn't be surprised to see <laughs> somewhere along the line he's talking about specific parts. But the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. That's one to think about. Are we surprised by what we're hearing? What did we expect? A reed shaken in the wind? And I'm not talking about John. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burning? <coughs> well, he tells us right here. He that walked upright, uh, walks righteously and speaks uprightly. He that despises the gain of oppressions. And, and he goes on. Holiness, righteousness, in other words. <clears throat> he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His water shall be sure. Won't the church be fed in the place of safety? See, the context is not necessarily of the millennium here. It is of a place of safety. Before the millennium begins to occur, the eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold a land that is very far off. You can go to a lot of scriptures and there are indications that Christ himself possibly will be in the place of safety to teach us to finish his three and a half years of seven-year ministry. Now, I don't know whether that's referring to the Lord Christ or not, or whether that is referring to Zerubbabel, who will be the teaching as a type of Christ. That remains to be seen. We can only speculate on that. But... Uh, this is pretty obvious, isn't it? That someone will be there, either Christ himself or one in the name and the authority of Christ, to do the teaching. Can you ask for better? Wow. Uh, let's see. I was going to go to Ezekiel 5. I won't. Uh, I, I will refer to it briefly because we've already seen the devastation spiritually that has occurred within the church. And we've seen famine, pestilence, and... Uh, the sword 
among ourselves. And some of us feel pretty hacked on, pretty destitute. But he says there that it will be a remnant or a residue that Christ will work with. And even when he took the 10% out, God told Ezekiel to throw some more of the, take out some of the hair and throw it in the fire. So apparently less than 10% is the residue and the remnant that God is going to work with here. Jeremiah 30. Verse 9. Well, it talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, and we'll be saved out of it. Encouraging words in verse 7. Uh, verse 5 is good, too. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Isn't that what we've been hearing, is trembling and fear? And yet he says, in this time of Jacob's trouble, verse 9, They shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Obviously, the end time. But notice also the... Uh, the context here, verse 17, For I will restore health to you, and I will heal you of your wounds. Sounds like the sheep in Ezekiel 34. Because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion whom no man seeks after. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity, that is, uh, bring out of captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be builded upon her own heap. Out of the ruins, out of the heap of rubble from the worldwide church of God, God is going to rebuild upon the same heap. So there you go. We're all little heaps here. <laughs> and God is going to rebuild upon us. And heaps, not just heap, lest we think we're a special little pile here. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. This sounds like the words of Haggai. This latter temple will have greater glory than the former temple. It's beautiful. Chapter 30, verse uh, 24. The fierce anger of the eternal shall not return until he have done it, and until he have performed the intents of his heart in the latter days, you shall consider it. This is the time to think about it. Chapter 31, verse uh, 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil for the young of the flock. This is the type of sermon that you used to hear all the time at the Feast of Tabernacles. Isn't this feast a departure from what we have heard in the past? I heard it said that someone, I don't even have any idea who it was, it said, well, I didn't come to hear this. I came to hear about utopia. Brethren, this is what leads to utopia. Utopia cannot come until we repent and God then begins to regather us. Then these utopian conditions can come within the church, and once they are restored within the church, God will have a cadre of people work together that will then go out and teach the rest of the world. Christ is not going to come back to a bride that is unprepared, still in her pajamas. She's going to be ready to go to work or honeymoon, or all the things that have to be done. 
but his work is going to continue. Now let's go to Isaiah 55. This is a very interesting one. It helps tie together some of the things that I've been saying, if you still have uh, questions. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters, and he that has no money, come you, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It is available again, and it hasn't been. Where before do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Incline your ear and come to me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Does that mean he's one of the two witnesses? Don't know that I can say that for sure, but it is an interesting context, isn't it? A witness, a commander, and a leader, or a leader and commander. Behold, you shall call a nation that you know not, and nations that knew not you shall run to you because of the Lord your God. That's interesting. They shall run to David. Remember the story of David's life? How once he was anointed, he didn't try to take any office anywhere. In fact, he ran for the holes of the rocks in the cave of Abdullam to hide from Saul because he did not want to take anything upon himself. And even when he cut off the garment of Saul's skirt, he repented himself immediately. He even went out there. He wasn't afraid in that particular instance. Oh, I have sinned and went out to repair the breach. And Saul accepted that. But what did he have with him? 400 men. His family, those who were distressed, those who were in debt, a coxie's army. <laughs> they came to him. He did not go to them. Later on, when he was crowned king of Israel, or of Judah in Israel, Judah came to him. He did not even go to them and say, hey, I'm your king. Not at all. They came to him. Seven years later, the whole tribe of Israel came to him. Very interesting that God is going to raise up David to us, and we have to recognize where he is. It is up to the church to figure out where God is speaking, where God is leading. I hope we are all humble enough to recognize the characteristics of David and to follow. We may have to swallow our pride, brethren. God may raise up somebody that no one would consider or even think of. Didn't he do that with the sons of uh, Jesse. Well, here are all my sons. Pick one. God doesn't want any of these. Don't you have any more kids? <laughs> well, there's little David out there. He's minding the sheepies. We don't pay attention to him. Go get him. We're not going to sit down and even eat till you go get David. They bring David in in his shepherd clothes. That's the one. And everybody fell over in a faint. <laughs> it remains to be seen whom God is going to lead. What if it's not out of our group? What if it comes out of worldwide or united or global or name any of the other hundred and some splinters? <laughs> I'm not going to take time to try to remember them all. And I don't know them all anyway. 
Are we going to be willing to pack up our bag and follow? I think we had better be aware is what I'm saying. I want to alert us to the fact that this is going to occur. Remember Isaiah 58:11, spring of water uh, that we saw there, and we saw uh, water again. Let's go back to Zechariah 13:1 because I want to nail that down. Zechariah 13:1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. The purpose of this fountain is for sin and uncleanness. In other words, the waters of the Word of God are going to come from and proceed from the house of David and are going to wash Israel. That's what this fountain is all about. Get rid of the sin and the uncleanness. So call this a power fountain, a power wash. Get ready for some stinging water because God is going to clean us up and He's going to use the house of David to do it. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to Isaiah 16. Or did I already? Isaiah 16. No, I don't think I did. This is really interesting, too. Uh, Send you the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness under the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be that as a wandering bird cast out of the nest, so the daughters of Moab shall be at the fords of Arnon. Uh, I was just reading last night in Samuel that David sent his family into Moab for protection until all of this took place. Isn't that interesting? Petra is in Moab. Whether Petra is the place or not, I don't know, but it certainly is a type. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday. It's going to be a fearsome and troublous time. Hide the outcast, betray not him that wanders. Let my outcast well with you, Moab, be you a covert to them from the face of the spoiler, for the extortioner is at an end, the spoiler ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land, and in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness at a time of the place of safety. Let's go to, well, let's hit Isaiah 7 real quickly. What time is it? Ooh. Let's hit Isaiah uh, 7. We'll make it. Here you have uh, chapter 7, verse 2. It was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And it goes through a, a series here that I don't have time to hit about a confederacy or our enemies getting together against us. Read Psalm 83, tie it together with this, tie it together with Obadiah and a lot of other places, and you will see what I mean. But Isaiah 7 does show very clearly that there is a confederacy or a conspiracy against the church, just as there will be against Israel, and Ephraim will be broken, verse 8. But I find verse 9 very interesting. Talking about this, God makes the comment, If you will not believe... Surely you shall not be established. Isn't that what we read in Isaiah 41? Bring out your causes. Let's see. Let's consider these things. If we don't believe the words of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Nobadiah, and so on, we will not be established, he says. Let's take it one step further. My margin says, Do you not believe it is because you are not stable?
Because we turn it around, don't we? We say that you should only treat Jesus, James, Peter, Paul. Stay away from prophecy. It doesn't make any difference anyway. Let's just preach those solid, sound things. And yet God turns the thing clear around and says, if you don't believe the words of these prophecies, you aren't stable. Now, who's stable and who isn't? We have to believe the whole Bible, not just part of it. We can't pick out a little piece of it. Now, I believe in Jesus and James and Peter and John and Paul. Don't get me wrong. And I preach from them. But let's not ignore these things, God says, because then we aren't stable and perhaps we will not be established. I'd like to look at that in a few more translations. Now let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Here he's talking about, well, he talks about the table in the wilderness and verse 41 about how we can limit the Holy One of Israel, which is bad politics. Verse 52, but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely, and so that they feared not. And yet they tempted God and kept not his testimonies, verse 56. Verse 60, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men. And then in verse 68, he chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. But notice verse 70. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfold. Speaking of what we just discussed about uh, the sons of Jesse. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. So we are going to have a man of integrity and a man of skill. Not a novice. Not someone new, but someone skillful in the Word of God to lead us. To me, that is very comforting. O oh God, the heathen are come to your inheritance. Your holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heap. Didn't we just read that? This is the context of when God is going to do that. When the, when the church has been piled in heaps and God's sanctuary has been defiled. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem. There was none to bury them. Verse 5, How long, O Lord? Help us, O God of our salvation. Verse 9. Verse 80 is, uh, chapter 80 is interesting. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Come and save us. This is our cry, isn't it? Thy kingdom come. Uh, let's notice Isaiah 56 now very quickly. Isaiah 56. Uh, we just read about David here being a witness, a, a leader and commander, but notice verse 56, uh, chapter 66, verse 8. The Lord God, which gathered the outcasts of Israel, put them in a place of safety, says, Yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered to him. So apparently he's going to gather a nucleus to begin rebuilding, and then he is going to begin to add to that out of the greater church of God as they repent. And that ties in pretty well with what I was saying in the first unity sermon about uh, the two witnesses, that they would feed the church during the tribulation and perhaps even begin bringing people out as they repent until the tribulation gets so bad that it's too late and they must die in the tribulation as martyrs 
to prove their faithfulness to God. So a gathering starts and then is continued there. And David is the one who does the gathering. We can go back to Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12. You may feel like you've been sitting a long time, but I feel like I just got started. It helps to stand up <laughs> instead of sit. But let's notice chapter 12 here. Uh, Jerusalem, in verse 3, has become a burdensome stone for all people. And isn't the church, and hasn't it become in some respects a burden to us? And it is going to become a burden to the rest of the world because they are all going to hate us. All nations will hate us. That's something exciting to look forward to. Verse 7, The Lord also shall, also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We will have protection. Isn't that nice? And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. Won't he increase our strength? Doesn't he say in Psalm 91 that a thousand will fall at our left hand and ten thousand at our right hand? And isn't he talking in the first verse of chapter 91 of Psalms about a place of safety? I won't go back and read it for sake of time, but it's, uh, that's what it says. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. So I think it ties the rubble bell and David here together because Christ is the one that was pierced. And the rubble bell is a type of Christ. Now I, as Paul said, time fails me to tell of all this, but go back to the book of Psalms, brethren, and especially, well, it's, it's all through it, but start with about halfway through, about chapter 74, and go all the way through and you'll see the principles and the things I'm talking about here said over and over and over again. Uh, I have time to maybe just hit a few highlights to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, chapter 74, verse 9. Neither is there any among us, neither is there among us any that knows how long. We don't know just how long this is going to be. I feel it is very imminent. I think we all are beginning to feel that. One shoe has dropped, and we're sort of waiting anxiously for the other to, to drop, and we've been hearing during this feast. The hour of decision is here. The handwriting is on the wall. The time is imminent. We have not escaped that, I hope. But we don't know just when these things are going to happen. But when you start reading the Scriptures about what will occur just before it happens, and the famine, pestilence, and disease that has come upon us, you realize that the time is near. Verse 7, chapter 75. Uh, Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. Don't anyone raise himself up as leader, for promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge, and promotion comes from the north, the throne of God. So when God sets up promotion or promotes someone to lead, God will do that. It is not for any man to exalt himself. And then you read the things in chapter 78 that I talked about. Uh, a confederacy against the hidden, uh, your hidden ones in chapter 83. 
that will come, where they say, let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. Have we not had some heathen uh, preachers among us who have tried to take the possession of God's church to themselves? See, this is talking about the church all the way through here. Uh, 89.7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Don't fear the world, don't fear the Goliath, fear God. Verse, uh, verse 20, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. My arm also shall strengthen him, and I will plague those that hate him. Uh, Chapter 90, verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. You think you're hiding anything from God? <laughs> you better repent of the things you think you're hiding, too. Chapter 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That's what I just quoted, and about how they will fall before us. The Lord will not cast off his people, chapter 94, verse 14. It just goes on and on. Uh, chapter 100, verse 3, Know you that the Lord, He is God. It is He that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Chapter 102 is very encouraging in verse 13. You shall arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. There it is. And then he talks about forgiving all our iniquities and healing all our diseases in Psalm 103, repairing the breach, healing that which is torn. Uh, chapter 104, verse uh, 14, he causes the grass to grow, the herb to be the service of man, that he may bring food out of the earth, wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The famine is going to be over. What beautiful news that is. It, it just goes on and on. I want to pick it up a little bit. Uh, chapter 119 um, is a long one, uh, but he exalts the right hand of the one he exalts in chapter 118, verse 16. Uh, I don't want to go into 119. I don't have a lot of time for that. Notice verse 126. It is time for you, Lord, to work, for they have made void your law. That shows when this is about to begin to happen. They've made void the law of God. Boy, that's clear. Uh, Verse 136, rivers of water run down my eyes because they've not kept your law. And all about the law through here. Uh, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. In my distress I cried. I will lift up, the, chapter 121, my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. Didn't we sing that just before today? I think so. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He's our keeper. And he will protect our coming in and going out from this time forth and even forevermore. No longer will we ever have to worry. Notice chapter 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within your gates, O Jerusalem. We're going to stand again. But notice verse 3. This is beautiful. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. God is going to put it all back together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, the tribes are going to be preserved through this. Under the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace in the church, once again, we are to pray for.
specifically, as I said, on atonement, uh, chapter 10, I think, verse 1 of Zechariah, pray for the latter rain and the time of the latter rain. Our eyes wait, chapter 123, upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Our soul is exceeding filled with the scorning of those that are at ease. There are those at ease in the greater church of God who say, don't worry about it, everything's fine, we're obeying God, we'll just do everything good. But God says, don't listen to those who are at ease. We are not in any way trying to make you comfortable in this church, brethren. I think the thrust of this whole feast is to make you as uncomfortable as possible. That's why we have some of these hard chairs. We are not to sit here and be comfortable. Look at what we have ahead of us. And then he talks in chapter 24 about the waters that overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. Doesn't that remind you of Revelation 12 where a flood will come out to try to cover us? But God has not given us as a prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we are escaped. And I read that to show that that occurs right after or during the time that David's throne is set up again. Now God brings the leader that will bring us back together and then we will escape out of the snare. And I, I won't go on here. Uh, there's so much. Well, let's, let's look at Psalm 126, though. This is good. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Is it really finally here we'll say? This is like a dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Wouldn't it be neat to have it for all time like it was last night? We were so happy out there and visiting with one another and laughing and teasing one another and, and just having a wonderful time laughing. Our, our mouth was filled with joy and singing. Uh, the Lord has done great things for them. Wherefore, we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. How exciting. Except the Lord shall build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Let's be sure that we are building on a sure foundation that God is building this house. So I won't go on with more of that. I want to close with two, two scriptures because we should make no mistake that a Goliath is rising and that we need a David to slay him. And I think that's what the witnesses are all about, is it not? Any who will try to harm them will be destroyed by fire. God is going to take care of us. Well, let's go to Hebrews 12. I think it applies so greatly here, and I think before we're quite done... By the way, I was going to tell you to read Daniel 9, but I got preempted, so I won't do that. You've already read it now, and you have that in mind. So let's go to Hebrews. First of all, just to touch on chapter 11, because... The message we heard yesterday was of faith, and he didn't have time to tell of David also, he says in verse 32. <laughs> so since John didn't have time to tell about David, I will tell about David. Let's pick it up. Well, look at all the miracles there. I won't take time to read those. The people stopping the mouths of lions, quenching fire, uh, standing still while they were sawed in half. Tremendous miracles. People raised from the dead. 
God provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. God is lumping us with all these people in Hebrews 11, if we are the faithful. And he said, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This seems to be, this chapter is a microcosm of what we've been hearing in this Feast of Tabernacles. And then he talks about we've not yet resisted against uh, under blood and striving against sin. If we haven't overcome, we haven't tried hard enough. We've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as unto children. Verse 5, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. We've received quite a load of correction, guidance, that's what correction is, in this feast. And we are not to despise it. I even heard some mumbling and grumbling around when John made some silly little, well, not silly, but I mean some innocuous, small correction to us about a Bible study. I, I heard someone said, and I don't know who it was, had no idea, just came to, into one of my ears. We listened to that kind of garbage for 20 years. Brethren, are we still so arrogant, so inflated, so egotistical that a mild rebuke like that upsets us? What a pity. Paul speaks to us. And that wasn't the only complaint. There were others. Where are our attitudes? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. How encouraging. For, he, for what son is he whom the Father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? What are you supposed to do when you're corrected? Grumble and gripe? Complain? Is that what God wants us to do? Verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. That's what we're talking about here is the healing. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up like it did in our enemy Esau. And then we can't find repentance no matter how hard we look for it. Let's not let ourselves become bitter over any correction that comes over us because God loves us and that shows in our chastening. Go back to the childbearing sermon. For you are not come, verse 18, to the mount that might... Remember these words as we go through this, because I'm going to one more chapter, one more set of scriptures, and then we're quitting. But remember these words now in relationship to where we're headed after this. The sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Israel could not stand to hear the words of God coming from Mount Sinai. Don't let him talk to us anymore. I can't take this. 
for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. Do we have a God who is a consuming fire, or do we not? And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you were come to the Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. There again, we've been talking about it, haven't we? And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. How easily are we shaken? Wherefore we receive in the kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, those are powerful words from the pen of Paul. What I want to conclude in 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22. And we won't be but a few minutes late, because this is a prayer followed by the last words of King David. It was written thousands of years ago by the one of whom a type shall spring forth now in the church of God. Notice in comparison to Hebrews 12 and all these other scriptures about the integrity and the skillfulness of David, listen to David our king. Then, when God does raise up a David among us, we will know what to look for. These, this is, I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll quit. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul, the time just ahead of us that we're looking at spiritually. And he said, The Lord is my rock, we sang at this feast, and my fortress, and my deliverer, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. My high tower, my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Won't he protect us? I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, do you see us here? The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and crumbled, the foundations of heaven moved, and shook because he was angry. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub, and did fly, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. 
And he made in the darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies, speak of the day of the Lord, speak of cloudiness over the church of God today spiritually, through the brightness before him that were live coals of fire kindled. I'll slow down so I can read. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, whitening and discomfited them. And he's going to use David to do it again. He is going to protect us. God our Savior, and he's going to use David to help. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. Isn't that the way we've been feeling? They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Now, we've been hearing a lot about God's anger, but he's going to delight in us again once we are repentant. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands has he recompensed me. David went through Psalm 51 and cleansed himself and purified and asked God to cleanse him and make him pure and white as snow. Then he would teach the people the truth of God. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. Are we to keep the law? Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyesight. We will be judged by what level of righteousness we attain. With the merciful you will show yourself merciful, and with the upright man you will show yourself upright. With the pure you will show yourself pure, and with the froward you shall show yourself unsavory. And the afflicted people you will save. Now, there's one we can really take comfort in. But your eyes are upon the haughty, and you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. For by you I have run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall, killed Goliath, slew the lion, slew the bear, he says. Through you I've leaped over the wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He talked about his righteousness, but he says, God is the one that perfects me and sets me upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. Read the armor of God in Galatians. <clears throat> You've also given me the shield of your salvation, and the gentleness has made me great. Your gentleness. You've enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them, and had turned not again until I had consumed them. And I have consumed them and wounded them, that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. Here's the guy I want to follow. For you have girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me have you subdued under me. There's good news coming, brethren. This is beautiful. For you have girded me with strength to battle. Them that rose up against me have you subdued under me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They looked. 
but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them as small as the dust of the earth, I did stamp them as the mire of the streets, and did spread them abroad. You also have delivered me from the strivings of my people, you have kept me to be head of the heathen. Those who rose up over us are going to be put down, and God is, and then David is going to rule over the heathen under Christ. Christ has put him the head. A people which I knew not shall serve me. Strangers shall submit themselves to me. As soon as they hear, they shall be obedient to me. Well, that's going to be a switch, won't it? We've got a whole church now that won't listen to anybody. But as soon as they hear the one God sends, when God reveals who that is, then they will hear. Strangers shall fade away, and they shall be afraid out of their close places. Some won't listen. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my rock of my salvation. It is God that avenges me, and that brings down the people under me, and that brings me forth from my enemies. Isn't that what he says to Zerubbabel there? Not by might, not by strength, but by my power, says the Eternal. And that brings me forth from my enemies, thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. You have delivered me from the violent man, is that the Goliath? Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation for his king and shows mercy to his anointed, unto David, and to his seed forevermore. This is getting a little longer than I anticipated, but then God, David prays a long time. <laughs> and maybe that's an example for us. But let's, let's, let's read a, just a few more verses here, because these are the last words of David for us. These be the last words of David, chapter 23. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. These are his parting words. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. That's interesting, isn't it? The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. That will be a change, too. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God. David's house was broken, torn. His children turned against him. He had trouble in his house throughout his entire life. But he says it's not going to be like it was in my physical life when he's resurrected in the kingdom, and as a spirit and type of God, uh, of David, that comes to us again. Yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, everything in order, and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away. Our enemies will go away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear. And they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. Do you think God is going to deliver us, brethren, or is he not? 